All right, great to great to be with you tonight. We have been talking about the pictures of God's promises and God's purposes for us and giving us some great pictures of the hope that God has given us. And I want to continue that that basic theme tonight. And since I know I'm talking to the absolute smartest people in the church here, uh, I'm going to challenge you with a text out of the book of Isaiah. It has really become, Isaiah 49, I have to say, has become one of my favorite chapters, and I just seem to keep going back and reading it over and over again, uh, simply because of how much uh, beauty it has, how much hope it has, and the gorgeous pictures that are there. I think what makes it most interesting is that we get to sit in on a conversation between Jesus and God hundreds and hundreds of years, maybe way back in eternity for all we know, but a conversation between God and Jesus, just between the two of them, this interesting exchange in which they talk about the plan and how they are going to save us and what they are going to do about that and how it's going to actually play out. And that alone just makes it interesting. I don't know about you, but I've often thought about how neat it would be uh, to sit in the presence of God like a fly on a wall and listen in to the conversations that took place before our creation before he made us, uh, before all these plans took place and to listen in on how God and Christ and the Holy Spirit were going to go about that. So what we're going to do in this lesson, the first thing I'm going to do is we're going to spend some time just walking through most of Isaiah 49. We're not going to do the whole chapter, but we're going to do a part of this chapter. And as we're going to walk through it, so what you're going to need is a very interesting tool. You're going to need a Bible. And with that Bible, you're just going to open it, and I'm going to walk through it real slowly and carefully. So I want you to be able to see the message simply. We're not we're very bright. It's got to be slow. No, we're, this is not going to be hard. And, uh, and I'm going to... I'm going to take this, uh, even though it's Isaiah, and I know people have this this mental block, you know, about oh no, Isaiah, and all this. Well, this is this is a piece of cake, and we're going to walk through this real real slowly and carefully. And then after we've gone through and seen the original message and enjoyed the conversation between God and Jesus, then we'll go back and simply make three or four major. Uh, applications from it. Some quick applications. Uh, this is always your pattern in Bible study, by the way. You go and you discover the original message to the original reader, what it really was intended, what was meant, and then you'll find the applications for today just fall right in your lap. And it'll be really beautiful. So uh, I want you to go away enjoying this. Uh, this is like your favorite dessert. Uh, this is like, uh, you know, that wonderful double chocolate chunk ice cream uh, with some, uh, I don't know, whipped cream on top and uh, some real cool stuff. This won't make you, won't break your diet. You know, this will be the rich food that God uh, talks about. All right. 
So uh, here then is our setting, just a little short setting to this. And the setting is basically this, that Israel has failed. And Isaiah has gone through that over and over again up to Isaiah 49. Israel has failed. They have failed their purpose. They have failed God's intention for them. They have not glorified God's name. They have not been a light to the world. Instead, they have profaned God's name. They've been rebellious and disobedient. And God is has already given condemnations about them and talked about how He is going to bring the Assyrians and the Babylonians and He's going to wipe them off and He's going to turn them into a wilderness and He's going to take them away into faraway countries and He is going to desert them basically for a period of time and it is going to look like a hopeless situation. But of course, you and I know that God has made promises. And God cannot make break His promises. So here is the conversation that we want to see, beginning in chapter 49 and verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples, from afar. Alright, who's he, who's he addressing? People from all over the world. He's talking about the people from afar, the coastlands, the people around the Roman Empire, what we would know as the Roman Empire, not at that time, but the people around the Mediterranean Sea. And so he's calling out, listen to all, I want all of you to hear me. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword in the hand of his, in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. All right, so all of you just think for a second. Who is he talking about? Who's the me there? Who is he referring to that he had called from his mother's womb? He had given him a mouth like a sharp sword. He is a polished arrow. He's hidden away in the Lord's quiver. Who would that be? Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? You say, that's the Messiah. That's later referred, that's, that's Jesus. So here we are, 700 years before Christ, and he is, and Jesus is talking about himself. He says, this is what God has done for me. He's hidden me away. He's kind of like, I'm the prize arrow that God has saved for the very last hurrah, for the last uh, trumpet, for the last uh, uh, victorious a push. This is what he has done for me. So listen up, all you coastlands and all the people of the world. He's giving me a sharp sword out of my mouth. He's going to battle not with physical weapons, but battle with his word that is going to come from his mouth. Verse 3, And he said to me, the Father, that is God the Father, he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Well, now that's interesting. He said to, he, this is what the Messiah says, He told me, God told me, that I am His servant, Israel. Isn't that interesting? He calls the Messiah by the name of Israel. Well, you think to yourself, well, why would, the, why would He call the Messiah Israel? Uh, that's not the real nation here. Well, the reason is, is because God's chosen people... Israel nation had failed their purpose. Everyone had failed. Even the great kings like David had failed. And so now God is going to call the true Israelite. 
Jesus is going to be the true Israel. Remember when Jesus said in John 15, I am the true vine. (laughs) Exactly. And so he says, I'm going to do what the nation didn't do. Where the nation failed, I'm now going to call this true Israelite and he is not going to fail. And in him, God says, I will be glorified. Ah, what did the nation of Israel do? Oh, they profaned God's holy name by all their wickedness. So this Messiah, this servant, is going to then, he's going to glorify God's holy name. He's going to do what God has always wanted from the very beginning, to have his name glorified in the world. You know, that's the very first request in the, in the sample prayer that Jesus gives. Our Father who, is, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. There is the first part of the prayer. That's the first request. That God's name will be glorified, held high and holy among the world. Who's going to lead the way? Well, the servant Messiah is. But, verse 4, the Messiah responds with these words. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. You imagine that? Here is God calling the Messiah to do this great work. And the Messiah goes... Uh, I I tried, and it, it, it didn't work. And you know what that makes you think of? Makes you think of when Jesus arrived on the earth, and what happened? Israel came to his own, and his own rejected him. John chapter one. It didn't work out, and so you can see the Messiah going, "Lord, it just didn't work. I, I've labored in vain." And yet, before he ends that sentence, he takes the next step, and he says, "Yet." Here's a little hopeful statement. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. In other words, I know that my God is going to justify my work and my right and my recompense is with Him. He's going to do something about this. Ah, good. Here we have hope by the Messiah. And now, verse 5, the Lord says. So now again, the Messiah quotes what the Lord said to him. The Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength, he says. So you can see how God has said, Here here you are, my servant, and my intention for you is is that you would bring Jacob back to me, meaning the nation of Israel. They'd all gone. They're all gone away from God. They're rebellious. All this. I'm going to bring. You're going to bring them back. But here's what the God. Here's what the Lord God says to the Messiah. Verse six. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach. To the end of the earth. Notice how he says, the, the Lord God says to the Messiah, it's too, it's too little a thing that you, your work would only be to bring back the nation of Israel. It's too, that's too small. I'm going to make you a light to all the nations. I'm going to bring your message to the end of the earth. And you're going to gather people from all over the world. It's not just going to be a Jewish gathering, your work is too great to limit it to that. 
All of us Gentiles say, Woohoo! <laughs> we are glad for that one. That's exactly right. And so it's a beautiful picture where God says, Ah, it's just too small. I'm going to make you a light for the whole world and the salvation is going to reach to the end of the earth. Verse 7, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised and abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Ah, watch this. Thus says the Lord God, to the one deeply despised. Well, who's that? Well, that's the Messiah. He's deeply despised by the nation. What nation? Well, the Jewish nation. He's deeply despised by them. He is a servant of rulers. Who's the Messiah? He's a servant of rulers. Remember Jesus going before Herod and Pilate and others, and he seems to be a servant of rulers. Ah, but look at the next statement. Kings shall see and arise. Princes, and they shall prostrate themselves. Probably help if I turn this uh, microphone on. I don't know. I don't know if it's on or not. Is it on? Okay, thank you. I have no idea. Uh, all right. So here, here he is. Instead of being now deeply despised and a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise. Princes, they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful. The Holy One of Israel has chosen you. So instead of now being a servant of rulers, he is a ruler of all rulers. He is overall. Remember in Revelation 17, 14? He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. There's a reversal that happens here, doesn't it? He now is exalted above everybody else. He is now the king over all other kings. And they will bow to him instead of the other way around. Here's the victory then of the Messiah. Verse 8. Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. God, speaking to the Messiah, at the appropriate time, I have come and helped you. At a day of salvation, I've come to your aid. I've answered your request that your labor would not be in vain. God helping the Messiah be successful in getting salvation out to the end of the earth. Cool picture, isn't it? Here's God doing something to help the Messiah fulfill His his purpose. And then he goes on in verse 8, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage. Is their heritage. Israel's going to be brought back. Again, they're going to have the joy and prosperity that they never really had ever in their whole time. And they're going to be able to enjoy those blessings that God had originally intended through the promises of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so then, notice verse 9, saying, here's what he's going to be able to do, here's what the Messiah will be able to do, saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, and all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them by the springs of water and will guide them. Well, what happened to Israel? Well, they were taken away into captivity. And they were, they were slaves and prisoners, just kind of like they were when they were in Egypt. 
But what does the Messiah do? He gives them as a covenant. And he calls them out of that bondage. And brings them out again, making God their God and Him and them their people. And now God gives them all these blessings. They're not going to hunger and thirst anymore. There's not going to scorching winds, not going to strike them. He has pity on them. He guides them. He gives them springs of water. You see some of those same pictures in Revelation, don't you? All right, so here's what God's doing for them. Verse 11, And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, these from the land of Syene, which is China area. So what's going to happen? God is bringing a new exodus. You remember how God brought Israel? out of Egypt and made a great exodus for them, giving them freedom from bondage. Now he's giving the whole world an exodus. He's leveling the mountains. He's making a highway to be raised up so that everybody can come. Everybody can make it. Everybody can get out of the bondage they're in and have this great exodus and come to God's land. Just as Brent talked about last night, and enjoy the fellowship and relationship with God. Now, isn't that that's just a, a that isn't even the end of the picture, but that's just a neat picture up to that point. And I want to stop and we see the message, we see the idea of the conversation. I want to stop just for a second. I want you to notice four things in that particular section. First off, I want you to notice that when he calls Jesus. Israel, that everything that's going to come out of that throughout the rest of Isaiah is going to picture for us Jesus being the true Israelite now produces in us to be true Israelites. What the Israel nation did not accomplish now Jesus accomplishes and then produces us so that we also accomplish what Jesus did. In Galatians 6 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul talks about how blessings upon the Israel of God. Who's the true Israel? We are now the true Israel because the true Israelite Jesus led the way gave us the same characteristics as He has so that we can do the same things that He did. In Isaiah 53, the famous Isaiah 53, right? We, we, we're kind of aware of that one. That's the suffering servant song, talking about the, the death of Jesus. Well, one of the interesting little verses in Isaiah 53 is verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Jesus put to death on the cross for our sins, but then raised and he shall see what? He shall see his offspring. We become the offspring of the Messiah who is on the cross and who is raised, and we now become his offspring, we become the true Israelites. All right, now, notice notice what we see from this. I want you to notice simple quotes here. 
First, the quote that is given in verse 3. You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. How was God glorified through Jesus? Ephesians gives us that answer. Three times in Ephesians 1, when Paul talks about what God did for us through Christ. If you're Remember Ephesians 1. You remember, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places, in whom He also predestined us, right? To become His, uh, to be in His image. And He goes on all the things, redeemed us, purchased us by His blood. All Why did He do it? Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 12, to the praise of His glory. Verse 14, to the praise of His glory. Chapter 321, when he ends that whole section, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. How does God get glory? Through us. Through Jesus creating us as He is in His image, and us showing that image through the world and filling the world with the image of God. Our purpose is seen here. We aren't just saved because God felt sorry for us. God is creating a people who can glorify His name by how they live. When you read Ephesians 4-6, through you're reading about all the things God wants, how all the ways God wants us to live in order so that God's glory can be seen in us through the church. And so the first thing we see is, through your my servant, through you, my servant, Israel, I will be glorified. And that then reflects on how we live and what we will do because God through Christ, through us, is being glorified in the world. Second statement I want you to see. Down in verse 6. It's too light a thing. It's too light a thing that you should be a servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations and my salvation the end of the earth. Now here's an interesting thing. That's quoted in the New Testament. It's quoted in Acts 13, verse 46. And the Apostle Paul is very interesting in how he quotes that. Because in Acts 13, when the Jews reject the preaching that Paul gives... In verse 46, in Acts 13, the Apostle Paul says this, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may be, bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Oh, wait a minute, Paul. You, you, you misquoted Isaiah. In Isaiah, God said to the Messiah that you will be a light to the Gentiles and bring salvation to the end of the earth. Paul says, oh, if he said it to the Messiah, he said it to us. The Lord commanded us that we would be a light to the world, that we bring salvation to the end of the earth. You see how that goes? Whatever the Messiah does... 
the Messiah's offspring, the Messiah's disciples do the same thing. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's what disciples do. But one of the interesting things you see in Isaiah is every time he tells you what the Messiah is going to do, he is also telling you what we are going to do. We are a light to the nations. We are a light to the end of the earth. I mean, after all, Jesus had a ministry the last three and a half years on the earth. But as we noted the other night, he is still reigning as king a king over all the world and he's acting as king and we are his body. What's the body do? It functions for Christ. He's the head. We're the body. That's why we're called that. We now have become a light to the end of the earth. Notice the third statement in down in verse six or verse eight. Thus says the Lord, in the time of favor I've answered you, in a day of salvation I've helped you. So we look at that and we say, well, what's he saying? Well, he's saying that God is saying right there that he's come to the Messiah's aid and he's helping the Messiah so that the gospel can be to the whole world. Oh, but the Apostle Paul quotes that verse too. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul quotes that verse and he says to the Corinthians these words in 2 Corinthians 6.1, Working together with him. Paul says all of us are working together with God. Then, since we're working together with God, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I have listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He quotes the Isaiah passage where God said he was helping the Messiah. And now Paul says... We're helping, we're helping God help the Messiah. We're doing that very thing. So you again see the picture of we are in the mind of God way back here in the plan of God, which he uttered to the Messiah, which then in turn is being fulfilled through us as we become in the image of the Messiah and practice the same things that the Messiah practiced. Now notice one other. Saying to the prisoners, verse 9, saying to the prisoners, come out. How about you and me? Who are the prisoners? Well, at first we look at it and say, well, those are those Israelites there in captivity. And yet he spoke to the whole world. He was calling people from all over the world who are prisoners, who are in bondage, who are in slavery, to come out. He's giving us a new exodus. And when you read it, you say, what's the exodus picture? Oh, the release from that horrible bondage of Egypt. The crossing of the sea on dry ground. The march to Canaan to the promised land. The conquering of all the enemies and enjoying the prosperity of the glorious land. That God had provided. Ah, same exodus. Prisoners. That's what we all are. We're all prisoners. And now God has said, come out. I've made a highway for you. I'm bringing you out so that you can enjoy all the prosperity and have everything that I provided. And we see, of course, Jesus saying those words again. 
Come all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In John chapter 8, when Jesus was talking to Jews who believed in him, he said, if you abide in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Make you free. Calling the prisoners out. You know what those Jews said in the next sentence? We've never been in bondage anyway. And Jesus went on to explain to them, I'm talking about your bondage of sin. We've never been in bondage anyway. By the time that conversation was over, Jesus was calling them children of the devil. Even though they had started by believing. You don't understand. I came to free you. And they didn't see it. Because they didn't understand what the prophets were talking about. They talked about this bondage. Now, here's our great conclusion. I want you to look on to verse 14. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Here, Isaiah has given them an inside picture of what God and the Messiah were talking about in order to release them from bondage, in order to call them out from the bondage and have a great exodus to bring them back to the land to make it so that they know neither hungered or thirst and they could drink of living water. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to make my servant Israel fulfill all of this. And I'm going to help him on the way. And Zion says, I don't think so. He's forsaken us. He's forgotten us. It just can't be. You ever felt that way? Oh, man. You ever looked in the mirror and said to yourself, you know, you're junk. You have failed over and over again. God cannot save you. God will not save you. You deserve. I look in the mirror and I point at myself. You deserve to be forsaken. You deserve it. You cannot be saved. Not who you've been. There is no way. And we hang our head. And we think, it's just over. It just can't be. I want you to hear God's answer. Verse 15. Here's what God says. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Now watch this. Yet even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Oh, he says, you know, could could a woman ever forget her nursing child? Well, he says, maybe some might. But he says, I'd never forget you. I would never forget you. Verse 16. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. We live in a time people like tattoos. God's tattooed. Your name on his palm. You can't erase it. You can't take it off. You can reject Him. You can leave Him. And you can lose that way. But other than that, He's he's got you engraved there. He goes on to say, Your walls are continually before Me. 
Your builders make haste, your destroyers, and those who laid you waste go out from you. They will not attack you anymore. And your builders are just going to go for it and they're going to build. You know, sometimes we think we're such in a minority. <laughs> Meet together in a little church. We think wait, we're just nothing. And God says, look, you, you don't understand something. You build. I'll, I'll take care of the increase. You do what I've told you to do. Look at verse 18. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. He's talking about all the nations. They're all going to come to you. And you're going to put them on like a great ornament. You're going to put them on like jewels. He's picturing the nation that is just jewelry all over itself because of the peoples of the world who are coming to Him. And to them and honoring God in the nation. He goes on even even in the next section and says, Surely you're wasting your desolate places and your devastated land. Surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants. And those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, The place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say in your heart, Who has borne these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away. But who has brought up these? There will be so many, he says, that will come in. That you're just going to have to expand everything in order to bring enough in, enough, enough, enough room for all the people that will be gathered. Over and again, it's God, God's cause to bring glory to His name. The world filled with the knowledge of Him and we, His images, showing God's glory throughout the world. That's God's intention. Has the Lord forsaken you? Has the Lord given up on you? Are we just some minority? Are we just nothing on the face of the earth? No, God has created us in His image to be the true Israelites following the true Israel. We are the light of the world. We are the ones whom God has helped in, helped in order so that we can be helpers of Him. And cause the world to have this great exodus and come back to God. That's your identity. That's who we are. One of the great concerns that Brent and I have talked about over and over again, and we're together, and we've talked about it again today, is our concern that Christians and churches have lost their identity. We've forgotten who we are. We come together and high five one another about. How cool it is to be saved. How neat it is that we're going to heaven. And we evangelize the carpets and the pews and the walls. And the lost stay lost. And we forget who we are. We are called to be a light to the world. To bring the salvation of God to the end of the earth. Because that's what true Israelites do. That's what the branches in the vine do. 
Let's take a break.